Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you here this morning. Uh, We're going to pray right now, and we're going to get right into our passage. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we thank you that you have brought us here together and to worship you today. Uh, We just pray that your spirit will be here with us, uh, softening our hearts, clearing our minds, and ready to receive your word uh, for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Driving can be an exhilarating experience. Uh, Most of us here uh, drive, and one of the things that come with driving is a lot of responsibility. Many of you know that being aware of your blind spots is actually important to being safe. For those who don't have their L's yet, there are areas around the car that you can't really see. You can't really see through the rear mirrors, through the side mirrors, and these are called blind spots. And the reason why blind spots can be so dangerous is because if you don't check them, there might be a car, there might be a motorcyclist or a cyclist, and you're going to hit them. Show of hands if you almost got into a crash because you didn't check your blind spot. Most of us understand that blind spots are Checking your blind spots is important. And so that's similar with our passage today. Jews have a massive blind spot. The Jews were God's chosen people. They believed because that they were God's people, they were exempt from God's judgment. Because they believed that they were God's chosen people, they were exempt from God's judgment. And this was a massive misunderstanding. This was a massive blind spot in their understanding. And so, just a bit of context. Over the last couple of weeks in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul has shown us God's judgment on the Gentiles. He has shown us God's judgment on the Gentile practices. He has found them all guilty for rejecting God. And so now in chapter 2, Paul shifts his attention away from the Gentiles and he draws attention to the Jews. What's happening here is our, in our passage is the apostle is speaking to his own people, the Jewish nation. Because the Jewish nation, was, they were accusing the Gentiles, they were condemning the Gentiles, while unknowingly condemning themselves. And so Paul highlights that these Jews had a massive blind spot, and their blind spot was leading them to face God's wrath. And so three points today. Uh, the foolish ones, the fair judge, and the fate of all. It's in your outlines. Let's have a look at the first point, the foolish ones. If you have your Bible open, have a look at verse 1. And we're going to look at verse 1, Romans chapter 2, verse 1, which reads, You therefore, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now again, remember that Paul has now shifted from the, Jewish, from the Gentiles community to the Jewish community. And he wants to say to the Jews that what they are doing is foolish. It's so foolish, it's actually hurting themselves. It's like shooting yourself in the foot. And I'm sure we've all been through something like this before, like where you sort of shoot yourself in the foot. Like for example, I, I love eating dessert. You know, I, I love anything chocolatey, creamy, milky in particular, like ice cream. I love it. And you know those ice creams from Messina? That's where it's at, yo. Like creamy cheese, 
caramel gelato smashed with white chocolate maltover milk covered in Nutella fudge, all on a cone. Imagine enjoying that. And you know why it's so foolish for me to eat ice cream? It's because I'm low-key lactose intolerant. I won't go into too much detail, but I shoot myself in the foot every time I eat ice cream. I don't listen to my body, and then I painfully regret it on the toilet a couple hours later. And so Paul is saying that the Jews are being foolish for passing judgment on others. It's because they're condemning themselves. And so the question is, why? Well, it's there in verse 1. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. It's because the very things that they are condemning, the very things that they are condemning, they are doing as well. And so this is what Paul is doing here. He's, he's saying and he's highlighting the hypocritical behavior by the Jews. And he's calling it foolish. He's saying, don't act like that. You see, the Jews would have agreed with every single thing in chapter 1. You know, the idolaters, the liars, the murderers, they all deserve judgment. But what they fail to see is that in agreeing with Paul so quickly, they've condemned themselves. They pass judgment on others. And so, listen closely, the, the Jews are foolish for judging others while ignoring their own sin. The Jews are foolish for judging others while ignoring their own sin. Paul is critiquing the person who believes that their religious beliefs excuses their sin. He's challenging the notion, the understanding that they were exempt from God's judgment. Because they were God's special people, because they were receivers of God's promise, because they possessed the law. To think that you are exempt from God's judgment based on your special privilege, that's, very, that's at the very least questionable. But to judge others while ignoring your own sin... Now that's foolish. That's being a hypocrite. And Paul says, being a hypocrite is foolish. You, you store up wrath for yourself. Notice that in verse 5. Paul is saying it, that there's nothing exempts them from God's judgment. And so he's warning the people that their identity will not guarantee their exclusion from God's judgment. God will judge rightly and he will judge fairly. Because God judges everything according to the truth. God will judge all sin equally. He will make no mistakes when he hears a case, when he brings us before trial to him. He, there's no possibility of error or bias. And so in verses 2 and 3, Paul contrasts that. On one hand, we see in verse 2, we see God's right and fair judgment. But on the other hand, in verse 3, we see man's foolish judgment. And so it's foolish because we judge others whilst ignoring our own sin. It's foolish because we habitually commit the same sins that we condemn others in. Maybe this is you. But, so for example, you, you might hate gossip, but you go around telling tales and talking behind people's back. You become angry when others break their promises, but then you promise more than you can deliver. You, become, uh, you, you condemn theft, but you give in to envy. You condemn great evils, but you practice lighter versions of them. You see, it's easier to detect the faults of others than to see our own. Let me say that again. It is easier to detect the faults of others 
than to see our own. That's what's happening here in our passage. And Paul gave a pretty big list of common Gentile practices. And we tend to agree that these things are bad, right? We would never do that. But what I want you to what I want to say is, or what I want you to see is, even though Paul is addressing the Jews, you might be tempted to think exactly like the religious person. Even though it's the Jews who are assuming that they stand outside of God's judgment, I want to suggest sometimes we also do the same thing. We also do the same thing. Because of the fall, we have the tendency to judge others while ignoring our own sin. We have the tendency of detecting the fault of others more than our own. Sometimes it might be because we don't want to confront our sins. We are hiding it from God. And that might be rooted in insecurity or pride. And perhaps it's because we think more highly of ourselves than we, than we actually are. And so sometimes we think less of others, especially when we form, <clears throat> form assumptions of others with our own human and limited and foolish understanding of a circumstance. <clears throat> we, f- <clears throat> we form conclusions that only God can form. But on the flip side, when it comes to judging ourselves, you might be saying to yourself, nah, I'll give myself the benefit of the doubt. Nah, I got this excuse. God will understand my circumstance. God will forgive me. And it's pretty clear that the Jews do this out of a sense of pride and prestige, but we can too, we can too as well. And that may seem outrageous to you, but I think some of us think that because we are members of a church, because we regularly come to Grace Point, because we serve in whatever ministry, we think that our membership will get us right with God. We think that our membership automatically gets us into God's kingdom. And so church, there's no merit in condemning others, especially when we ourselves are complacent. There's no merit in condemning ourselves when we ourselves are complacent. No matter what church we go to, no matter what religious group you're part of, no no matter if you're Christian or non-Christian, when we stand before Almighty God, we stand alone. You won't be able to appeal to the righteousness of your father, your mother, the church you belong to. You will have to answer your life by yourself. Church, God judges you for who you really are. Don't assume that God will not judge your sin because he shows kindness to you. You can't hide it from him. You can't ignore it. And so church, it's foolish to judge others while ignoring your own sin. That's the, poor, that's the point Paul is making. We need to be transparent with our own weaknesses and blind spots. We need to be transparent with our weaknesses and blind spots because the reality is when we are truly honest with ourselves, we're more sinful than we like to admit it. To come in humble repentance and dependence. Because God gives heaps of time to repent. But we must repent. Even when it hurts to confront it. Even when it hurts to be honest. Otherwise, we risk storing up wrath for ourselves. 
church, we need to be transparent with our sin. We can be transparent with our sin because the good news is that we can repent. We can be transparent. We can be transparent with our sin because Jesus has borne the weight of our judgment, allowing us to be freed from the consequences of sin. And so God is patient and kind and he's calling you to be honest with him. He's calling you to be honest with yourself and to repent because he will eventually come to judge all things. And so that's what we see in our next point. He will come to judge rightly and fairly. His judgment is just and it's impartial and he's a fair judge. Have a look at point two. We're going to look at verses 6 and 11, which reads, God will repay each person according to what they have done. And in verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. You see, God is a fair judge. He will judge everyone equally. When we appear before God, He will judge with perfect justice. And so notice what Paul says in verse 5. God is going to repay each person according to what they have done. Does, and doesn't that raise any questions? You know, I'm thinking to myself, God, does God really judge us according to our works? Is this sort of like a works-based righteousness? I think most of you will respond, no. Most of you would agree that we are not judged according to our works because we have been made right with God in Christ. But I want to suggest that the Bible consistently suggests that God will judge our works, deeds, and thoughts. Yes, it's true that those who are justified have been made right with God by faith in Christ. And that's, uh, but that's the, the primary basis of God's eternal judgments will be in our works. We will have to give an account of what we have done, all that we have done. Even Jesus says this himself. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16 with me. Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus says in verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Church, God will hold you accountable for your deeds It doesn't matter if you're Christian or not religious or not religious. God will hold you accountable for your actions. Again, this paradigm exists because our works is often an evidence of our true faith, isn't it? But it's not always right. You and I know that sometimes it's easier to talk to talk than to walk the walk. It's easier to say, I believe in Jesus but our actions must reflect that belief. It's not enough to simply proclaim our faith because we must live it out daily. And so church, even Jesus understood that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He, he straight out says it, right? Not everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Take another example. What if I told you that if I, that I am an attack helicopter. Would you believe me? Of course you wouldn't. You wouldn't believe me because just because I say that I'm something doesn't mean that that's what I am. You guys understand this. Just because someone says they follow Jesus, 
in the same way, following Jesus is known by actions. It's known by acts of obedience, of devotion, of sacrifice. These are the things that show that someone's faith is actually genuine. And so church, faith is always the root and obedience is always the fruit. Faith is always the root and obedience is always the fruit. Our works amplify His glory. It shows us His goodness. It benefits His people. And so when God will judge us, He will search. He will examine. He will call to account and render what is due. He will look to our actions and to our deeds because He knows it reveals our hearts. And the reason why Paul brings this up because is that the Jews need to know that God looks at the heart. Remember what they thought? They, they, the Jews, they believed that they were exempt from God's judgment. They believed that they would be protected from God's judgment because of their special privilege. And so Paul is saying that they will not be protected. They will not be protected. God does not show favoritism. That's what it says in verse 11. God will judge all equally, first the Jew and then the Gentile. No one is exempt from God's judgment, not even God's special people. You know, R.C. Sproul used to ask his Bible college students, how many ways are there to get into heaven? And the students would respond, there is only one way. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. And Sproul would reply, uh, that's true, realistically speaking, but hypothetically, is there another way to get into heaven? Well, he says, there is, and it's by living the good life. If hypothetically a person lives a life that is in perfect obedience to God's law, they actually don't need Jesus Christ as their saviour. You see, Jesus came to save people who do not live perfect lives. And so on one hand, the the college students are saying there's only one way, by faith in Christ. But Sproul is saying there's another. And it's in perfect obedience in the law. And true enough, salvation and forgiveness is necessary because people are not perfectly righteous. And if there was someone who was perfectly righteous, he or she would be right in the eyes of God, and so there would be another way to get into heaven. But you see, the problem is no one is righteous, not even one. And the the problem is that the Jews assumed that that was them. Because They assumed that because they had a personal relationship with God, they had knowledge of these laws, that they would be able to perfectly be righteous. And they were doing a lot of assuming. They were ignoring the fact that they could never keep it. And so in our passage, Paul is implying that salvation for any person is available only through a personal faith in Jesus Christ. This doesn't mean, this means that God doesn't play favorites. Instead, he will take into account a person's actions, behaviors, because it reveals the true condition of their heart. He doesn't judge based on any external factors such as ethnicity or social status or any other external factors that might make us feel superior or inferior to others. And so church, when God looks at us, when he looks at you, 
He sees directly into your heart. He knows the truth of our character and our intentions. And so there's no point in hiding. And so church, listen carefully. We can be transparent with our sin because God will judge fairly. God will judge fairly. Church, God will look at our lives and He'll look at our hearts and He'll judge us with perfect justice and fairness. And so there's no point in trying to hide. God is a fair God and it's clear in verses 7 and 8. Right? Have a look at it. You're either with God or you're against Him. Those who are with Him will gain eternal life. Those who are against Him will face His wrath and anger. And so all of us, we will have to face God's judgment. God is a fair judge. We have to face the fair judge. And so we've seen the foolishness of the Jews. And now we've just seen God as the fair judge. And we're moving to point three, where we'll explore the judgment of God on all his people. Have a look at point three, the fate of all. Have a look at verse 12. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will judge by the law. And now again, Paul begins to answer all his readers who are asking, what about the law? How are the Gentiles who don't have the law, how are they going to be judged? What Paul helpfully describes is two more categories of humanity. It's those who sin apart from the law and those who sin under the law. And so it's obvious that those who are under the law are the Jews. It's Israel who received God's law and and those are part of the law, it's the Gentiles. But what I want you to notice is that both of these categories contain the description of those who have sinned. All have sinned, Jews and Gentiles. The bottom line is that all have sinned before the God of the universe. There is no third category, no group who have not sinned. All have sinned. And so the point is that whether Jew or Gentile, all will be held account, accountable by God. If you're Jew and you reject Jesus as Messiah, you're even more guilty because you are part of God's chosen people. You, you have access to the Lord. You heard about the Messiah, but you rejected Him. If you're a Gentile, you will be held accountable, even though they do not have the law. Right? Verse 15 tells us right, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bear witness, and their thoughts sometimes accuses them, and at at other times even defending them. Even though they aren't part of God's chosen people, they will be judged by virtue of the law being written on their hearts, by virtue of creation which was laid out in chapter 1. And so Jew or Gentile, whoever rejects God, in His plan of salvation through Jesus, they will perish. And so it's a simple matter of knowledge. On one hand, the Jew has knowledge of God's law and God's word by God's sovereign choice, by by choosing them to channel His plan of salvation. And on the other hand, we see the Gentiles. They may not have a good knowledge of God's law and His word, but they will be judged one day based on their limited knowledge. And so, guys, God's judgment will be just and fair. No one has any excuses. No one can stand before God and plead ignorance. 
Paul re-emphasizes his point in verse 13, for it is not that those who hear the law who are righteous, but it's those who obey the Lord who declare righteousness. Just being under the law and hearing it regularly is not enough to save anyone. Hearing the words of Moses' law could not make anyone righteous. And so what we see in our passage is that Paul is presenting a case. He's presenting a case. He's saying that the fate of all is that everyone will stand before God's judgment. All will face God's judgment, both Gentiles and Jews. And notice from verses 12 to 15, that's what he's saying. The Jews have God's law, who are God's chosen people who heard the law, but they don't obey the law. They've grown to be hypocrites. They will face God's judgment. The Gentiles, they have God's law, but it's written on their hearts. It's in their conscience, and it reveals to them a sense of right and wrong. They too will face God's judgment. And so the point Paul is building towards is that the fate of all will be the same in all cases. All have sinned. All people have fallen short of God's standard of perfection. No matter what standard of good and evil they live under, the fate of all is that we all will stand before God's judgment. God will judge all equally, fairly, justly, regardless of ethnicity, status, or any other distinguishing factor. But He will judge us. But God's not just a just God. He's also a merciful God. He's gracious. And we're going to see more of that in later chapters. But let me show you hints of God's mercy in our passage. Because notice in verse 16, which reads, this will take place on the day when God judges people's secret. Not by their own account, but notice, through Jesus Christ. Guys, do you see that our passage actually shows us that there is someone that will stand in between God and our sin? Church, do you see that mercy, grace, and the gospel is present even in a passage all about condemnation and judgment? You see, what we need to hear from this passage is that we don't need to hide our sin from God. Because He has made a way for us to be reconciled through Him in Jesus Christ. If you trust in Christ, He stands for you as your judge and advocate. And that can be your fate. You don't have to be under the law, but you can be under Christ. And so the good news is that we can be transparent with our sin without fear or condemnation. God's judgment will be against all people, but His mercy is more in Christ. He will judge all men through and by Christ. And so church, let us come to Him with honesty, with humility, and receive the gift of salvation that He offers to all who believes. Some points to ponder. As you The first question is, as you examine your own heart, what are some sins you often point out in others? As you examine your own heart, what are some sins you often point out in others? What is something that you always see so clearly? And connected to this question is our second one is, is there any chance that this is your blind spot? Is there any chance that 
This is your blind spot. As we heard today, more often than not, the fault that we point out in others are insecurities that we have in ourselves. And we don't even recognize it. And that's potentially a blind spot. And so connected to sin, isn't it? We identify it as another person's sin and we distance ourselves from it. And so we feel a sense of self-righteousness. And that's exactly what the Jews were doing in this passage. And so church, if you're not careful, you'll become like the people you condemn. You'll become just like the people you condemn. And so those are the two points to ponder. What are some sins you can see so clearly in others, but you fail to recognize as your own sin? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you today uh, with humble hearts, recognizing our need for your grace and mercy. Lord, as we reflect on today's message, help us to examine our own hearts and to identify the sins that we often notice in others, but we fail to recognize within ourselves. Give us the courage to face our blind spots so that we may grow in humility and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.